0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name's Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. This is the 8th episode of the Move Your Mind Limited Construction Series. We're doing this because every year, 190 Australians working in the construction industry take their own lives, and construction workers are six times more likely to die from suicide than an accident at work. On this episode, I spoke to Martin Smith, who is currently the Group General Manager for Health, Sustainability and Climate with the John Holland Group. Over his 30-plus year career in health, safety and environment, He's worked across multiple sectors, including resources, energy, engineering, construction and transport. Martin's a passionate advocate for improving mental health outcomes in the building and construction industry, and he's driving the health and well-being agenda in John Holland. Thanks again for supporting our podcast, and if you'd like to join the Movie Mind community, you can find all of the information at moveyourmind.me, and if you'd like to purchase the Movie Mind book, you can find that at nickbrax.com book. Martin, thanks so much for making the time to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And, you know, it's been great to be able to keep this relationship with yourself and John Holland over now a number of years. So, you know, feel really excited to be able to just have this conversation with you today. Yeah,
1: great. No, thank you for the invitation, Nick. I'm really looking forward to um, to having the conversation with you.
0: I appreciate it. Uh, so before we go into the interview, um it would be great if we could just get a background on yourself and what you what you do at John Holland. Oh,
1: yeah, happy to. Um, look, like most people um, in, in my profession, um, the the journey to where where I've arrived has been a, a long and interesting one, uh, and not always a straight line um, to to get to where I am today. I started my my formative. Working life in a building trade, so I grew up uh, in construction, and then I left construction um, shortly after finishing my apprenticeship, and uh, and went to university and uh, and got a degree in social work, and I was a registered social worker for a period of time, um, which really, which is where it really started my interest in in mental health because. Mental health overlays a lot of the issues that, um, that, uh, that social work is exposed to. So that's where I got my formative education around mental health and, and practical experience around all of that. Um, I moved later in, in, in my time um, as a social worker, I moved into industry. And I did a bit of work uh, in, with the Metropolitan Fire Service in, uh, in South Australia. I did my dissertation. Um, on critical incident stress and mental health in the fire brigade Um, and this was back in the uh, back in the early 90s Um, and we were really looking at um, at how firefighters and more broadly emergency services respond to critical incidents and uh, how they manage the mental health impacts of um, being exposed to critical events like fires traffic accidents those sorts of things particularly where members of uh, the public are involved and children and so forth. So, so that's where I got my, um, you know, my further interest in, um, in mental health. And, uh, and then it was almost my segue, if you like, into health and safety. Um, I worked for a period of time um, in industry as a rehabilitation counsellor and a, a managing employee assistance programme. Um, and from there, I moved into uh, prevention uh, injury prevention, as opposed to uh, dealing with the consequences of um, of workplace injuries, and uh, and so I moved into health and safety, and from there I I really found um, my my real interest um, in my real kind of vocation, if you like, um, and that was going back into the into the late nineties, and I've been in health and safety and environment uh, for for since then, and I've worked across a number of industries I've worked. Both in, uh, in on the contracting side, I've worked uh, uh, in the operational side of things, and also in, um, um, in in maintenance as well. So, and I've worked in across multiple sectors. I think I I don't think there's many sectors I haven't worked across. Most of them have been high risk, um, and I find that that's the where the interesting work is um, is around dealing with managing physical injuries um sorry managing physical hazards um and uh, and also now more so the uh, the psychosocial hazards that we're talking about these days which have mental health implications Um, so at the moment um and i've also along the way like a lot of people that work in this profession pick up other allied functions like sustainability and environment uh, and so forth and so yeah fast forward to where i am today at the moment i'm working and have been for some time with john holland um, in um, in the areas of, of health and safety well-being uh, climate change and sustainability so quite a quite a broad portfolio and, and a very fascinating um, portfolio it is and at a very interesting kind of moment in time as well particularly with the the issues of, of global warming and uh, and the challenges of climate change um, I, I went full circle back into construction um, Many years ago, I think 15 or so years ago, I, I found myself back in construction. Um, and I really love the industry. I think it's one of the most uh, rewarding sectors to work for. It's a very fast paced. It's a very dynamic uh, place to work. Um, it's one of the most rewarding, I think, sectors that you can actually work in because the it is a very dangerous um. We, our people work in very dangerous environments, and without the support of of people in the health and safety profession, um, uh, it, it's it would be a much uh, a much more dangerous place to work. So very rewarding. Um, it's a high risk environment, but uh, but nevertheless a fascinating fascinating place to work.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know, part of what we're doing, you know, this this series about really focusing on mental health and understanding you know in mental health in the in the construction industry but yeah thank you for sharing that story and it's yet so interesting to hear um the how how varied your career has been and you know you must have seen so many different things along the way which I guess you know one question that comes to mind is just in the area of mental health from when you Mm. you know first got into the social work all those years ago to what you're doing now have you seen I guess, not just in construction in general, you know, a big change in that area? Have you seen a lot of things? Mm. must be a very different landscape to what you first saw.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's no different from any other um, important topic. Things change. People's perception change. You know, government policy changes over time um, to, to try and uh you know to try and address issues that are, are seen as important. And I, you know, if I reflect on my time as an apprentice uh, back in the uh, late 70s now, um, and how, you know, mental health back then wasn't even discussed. Um, it was there. Um, it was a tough industry back then. It was probably a harder industry back then. Um, and, uh, and, and it had no doubt it had mental health issues, but it was never discussed. Um, it was. It just wasn't a, t- a subject that was considered to be um, uh, uh, a, a topical, disc- a point of topical discussion. It was almost there. Still, there was that taboo, if you like, is probably the best way to, to mm-hmm. characterise it, Nick. Um, and then you fast forward to today, um, and it, the industry's moved such a long way in um, in, in mental health and understanding mental health. Um, and and trying to combat the effects of mental health in the workplace, it's, it's chalk and cheese. Um, mm. It's not to say that the, the industry has solved the problem, because we know from the numbers uh, of people that suicide in our industry that that is still so much higher um, than 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 it should be. I mean, we're talking about you know three or four times. The, the rate of any other industry. So we've still got the problem to solve, um, but it's it, it's it, we're in a much better position, I think, from a maturity perspective, whether we're getting the outcomes that we would want. And I'd suggest that we aren't getting anywhere near where we need to be given, given how uh, how long we've known of the problems, how endemic the problem is of mental health and suicide in our industry. We're not moving quick enough. Um, but uh, the industry is mobilising. Um, but, yes, it's it, it's it's very different now than what it was in terms of uh, the subject being, of, uh, of, uh, you know, taboo.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even like you're saying, you know, there's still obviously a long way to go and a long way to go in the construction industry, but the fact that we're now having these conversations and change mm. is being made is you know a really positive thing and you know that we it just needs to be continued. So what, what what would you say is one of the core reasons of why mental health issues are more prevalent, you know, or you're saying more people suicide in the construction industry. What what is are, are there some core reasons that we know of of, you know, why that has traditionally happened?
1: Yeah, I think we've got we've got lots of data that tells us the extent of the problem we've got, but also what the factors are that are driving it. There's been plenty of research done um, in the last 10 years into, into this whole topic. So there's no there's no shortage of information that allows us to really understand why we're in the position we're in. The challenge we have as an industry is actually tackling it, mm-hmm. um, and tackling the what are seen to, as the, the structural factors, the cultural factors that are driving these mental health outcomes in our industry. Um, I think to date we've focused on um, really tactical issues, um, like providing support to people who and and providing information to people on projects by way of an example um, to understand what mental health, how mental health presents or how mental health turns up on a project um, and, and providing support to people who, who do have mental health issues or are struggling with mental health issues. So what I mean by that is providing you know, employee assistance programs that people can tap into and, and, and make contact with who provide advice and support, which is a, a really important part of the whole uh, equation of solving the problem. Yeah. Um, but the, the issues for us as an industry are these structural issues. And some of, the, some of the kind of cultural characteristics, if you like, of our industry haven't really changed over the years. It's, it is a tough industry. It's a very male-dominated industry. Um, it's characterised by long working hours, you know, high risk, high reward, um, uh, work hard, play hard kind of um, ethos um it's um um there's a lack of diversity in our industry so it's not uh, a balanced industry in terms of people that see the industry as as an attractive one outside of outside of uh, what's seen to be a traditional male environment so it's not attracting uh, people from more diverse backgrounds into the industry so the same people are in in, in the industry that that, that have been attracted to it over many, many years, although we are starting to see it becoming a more family-friendly industry. So people are choosing construction-related uh, professions and trades because of, you know, because of those changes that they're seeing happening. So people are at, at high mm. school are selecting engineering and, or construction-related professions to join because of that, those changes. Um, there's also, you know, the, the issue of acceptable behaviour, unacceptable behaviour in our industry. So what was considered to be just part and parcel of, of an orientation into the industry as an apprentice, for example, 30, 40 years ago, is mm-hmm. no longer condoned. Right. So, so those things are, are changing, but there are kind of legacy, legacies of those behaviours still evident in our industry. So it is seen, I think, as a bit of a rough and tumble industry. The the long hours um, and the long working week is something that contributes to uh, poor mental health outcomes. So you've got uh, up until most recently, and it's still it's still pretty much the dominant approach is that projects run six days a week, um, and and that's not. That's not good for the individual. It's not good for their social relationships, families and and partners and so forth. So I think that causes some friction. It causes some dislocation. Um, There are, there is some trials happening at the moment in the industry on five day working week. um, And it's been shown that uh, productivity um, is equal to or better than uh, a six day working week. So, I think that's really, I think that's addressing one of the structural issues that I was talking about earlier, Nick. So lack of diversity, long mm. working hours, you know, the, 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 the kind of blokey culture that we see in our industry that's slowly changing um, is not attractive to, to some. Um, so there's, there's, there's strong movement in our industry to tackle those cultural factors now. Um, which is really positive because without that, uh, the change is going to just going to be continue to be very incremental and and very slow.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, one of one of the key things, you know, I've heard come come up time and time again across the industry is is the five day work week, and it yeah. sounds like that's just sort of inevitable and so important that at at some point, you know, it, it changes because it it, it really. You know, burnout is such a big, a big, a big thing in in the world these days. In in any industry, and um, you know, we we sort of need to address these things. And I think that would you know make a very big difference. So yeah, I think really, really interesting points that you bring up.
1: Yeah, it's and and it's encouraging because we are we're seeing the industry uh, mobilize around this um, because it can't just be the solution can't sit with one company. It's got to to be collaboration at the industry level to drive the structural changes that the industry needs. And it's really encouraging to see that happening, particularly through associations like the Australian Constructors Association, which has all the um, all the main players uh, as part of that association. And they've worked together to agree that the industry needs to change. And the only way it's going to change is if all those companies mobilise around that change. And so we're, we're starting to see the, the, um, the efforts of that collaboration flowing through. So there's a culture standard that's, that's being released into the industry at the moment, which, which goes to the heart of these cultural factors that need to be addressed. So it is, um, it is encouraging. I think the industry recognised uh, maybe five years ago um, that it needed to change and it needed to change quicker And that came off the back of some research that was done out of um, Swinburne University in Melbourne by Professor Luke Downey, which just talked about the suicide rates and the mental health issues in our industry. And, um, And that piece of research, I think, while it was kind of known through the industry that, you know, the industry wasn't in great shape in terms of mental health, there was something about this research which really struck a chord with the industry and the industry leaders and the CEOs of those, of the industry players, it was almost like it was a tipping point. Mm. The industry then recognized that things like things can't go on the way they are. We need to change. So there was a lot of goodwill and a good, a lot lot of good intention on the back of that research. Um, But the change that we actually need to see is taking a long time to, to make, the substantive change that we need in the industry. So, but we still need, we still need more. And and I think importantly, you know, there needs to be, um, you know, more effort, more effort made by the industry to to bring those suicide rates down.
0: Yeah. And, and I, and you know, this, this stuff does take time, I guess like oh. for a company to change these cultures, it's often, you know, could be a culture that's been part of a company for you know, any number of years and it takes time to chip away at that. So I guess like what you're talking about there of having industry standards is just so critical because one of the questions I was going to ask is, mm. does it seem from from what you've seen in the industry, is it pretty varied in how each company deals with mental health and, you know, th- these areas? Uh, are, is it sort of seem to be at the moment fairly varied from company to company? Mm.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Look, on some measures, there's consistency. Um, But I'd I'd say that consistency isn't there when you're starting to look at those cultural factors. Most companies now provide um, almost the same level of support for people who are struggling with mental health. They are Mm -hmm. providing the support that people need uh, in the workplace, they are educating their workforce um, around, and their leaders in particular, about how mental health presents in the workplace, um, and and, and you know, having mental health first aiders now is almost a uh, an industry norm across the sector. Um, so there's lots of really good work that's 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 happening. I think. There's consistency in destigmatizing mental health in the workplace, and it not being seen um, as a as a negative thing. There's an acceptance that that people show up at work in many different forms, and so does mental health. You know, mental health is a as you know is a is a spectrum, um, and it can be from the more extreme end where people are managing. Uh, quite extreme cases of mental health in the workplace to those that are going through a difficult time at a particular moment in time. So I think that there's a much broader awareness about how mental health presents and then the response that comes from individual organisations to support their people. I think that's been great and that's some really good work that's happening across the industry. I think you'd appreciate that tackling those cultural issues takes more time. Um, And I think that, needs to be and is being led by the senior players in the industry. They've got to lead the way. We've got to lead the way. I'm, I'm part of a company that is a senior player in our sector and and we take that responsibility really seriously. Um, and we are driving the, the outcomes that we want to see in our industry through those industry associations. And 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 so are a lot of the other tier what we call tier one companies. Um, so we need to bring our people along with us, and we need to bring our supply chain along with us. So the people that we subcontract with and to, we need to make sure that we're, um, you know, we're supporting them in their endeavours to make the industry better. So it's very much a collaborative approach. Um, but to go back to your original question, yet yeah, there's it's really really positive that we're starting to see. Um, consistency across our industry and therefore the the changes that we need to see happening
0: yeah absolutely and no i think i uh, yeah appreciate that Th- these answers it's you know super insightful what, what you're saying and um and to the point of of john holland i mean i've i've been fortunate enough to to work with you guys a little bit and mm. um, i've seen firsthand you know that you guys really are a leader in when it comes to mental health and wellness and setting an example and, you know, going above and beyond and really wanting to not just kick a box, but actually be part of, you know, a conversation more broadly in the industry and how can we set that standard? So I think it's really important and, you know, great example that you guys are doing that. Um, And, you know, that was probably the final question I wanted to ask you. Um, What, what, what are some of the things John Holland are doing?
1: Um. Well, we we we're taking a much more strategic approach to mental health and well-being in the company, and we took that decision back in twenty eighteen. we I mean, were doing quite a lot of things um, that our employees really valued in well-being prior to that, but we recognised that we needed a we needed a stronger commitment from the leadership team, and we needed to have a more strategic um, strategic approach to 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 what uh, what needs to happen. Um, and that's when we really had a good look at ourselves and said, well, "What is it that we need to do?" So we we started off um, our journey in that regard by actually running some workshops inside our business using a, very much a human centered design approach with our people as the if you want to look at it like a um, a, a product um, product uh, uh, usage approach. And a, and, a, and a customer satisfaction approach, if you like, we use the human-centered design model. So we asked the users of our services within the business, what do they think of what do, What do they think it's like working in our industry, and what do they think it's like working for John Hollett? And that that information just was really positive from individuals, both from a um, from a very positive perspective, but also some constructive feedback about their challenges they've had in working in an industry that I've mentioned earlier and other characteristics of the industry that we work in. And so on the basis of that, we said, okay, we've got to rethink what our offering is. You know, we do need to tackle flexibility. Our people want more flexible working arrangements. They want to be able to spend more time with their children and more time with their partners. They want to work less hours in a week and have weekends off, for example. Um, they want um, they want to work for an organization that really values them um, and provides support and development for them. Um, they do want you know they do they did they do and they continue to want employee support services, so employee assistance and so forth. Um, they want information about uh, mental health, they want information about physical health. Uh, they want information about how they can grow as individuals. Um, through their relationship with John Holland. So what, what we did is that we um, we developed our own um, program, if you like, which is called um, Healthy Bodies, Healthy Minds, which allows us to, to build out that awareness of physical health. Often, how important that is to build out the, the psychological health uh, aspect to it, and and really plugging in the information and support services that help that help um, that help support those those initiatives. We try and um, keep we try and keep um, our approach fresh, and we try and keep our approach contemporary. And we're continuously getting feedback. From our employees about whether they think what our offering is is adding value, and they appreciate it, or whether there's other things that we can that we can use to um, to increase the awareness of of well-being and mental health. And I guess this is where the association with yourself, Nick, came in, is that um, you know we wanted to look at a, a different way to get the message out, a different channel to get the message out, and the Move Your Mind podcast. I mean, I, I think we were the, your first uh, client in um, in Australia.
0: That, that
1: saw yeah. the value in that uh, in that communication channel and that method of engagement. Um, so those podcasts that we rolled out were really well received um, and they were something different to the to the way in which we would generally communicate um, into the organization so so that was that was really well received. Um, but the, 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 the other things, I guess, the, just to go back to the, to the cultural issues mm. that we're trying to uh, address here, people in our, in our business and people in our industry value flexibility uh, and they value diversity. Um, so they're the, they're the two um, kind of headline uh, topics that we, um, we know are making a difference. So in terms of flexibility now, um, and well-being, we we now have um, uh, in our management system that our projects have to have well-being plans. So when they're planning, when we're planning to deliver projects, and when we put a bid in to win a project, within our bid is a provision and a budgetary provision to develop a wellness a well-being plan. So regardless of the size of the project or the number of people on that project. Each project is required to look at the wellbeing uh, requirements of that project um, and have a plan in place for the duration of that project. Um, what that means is that you actually put the money aside from the beginning of the project sort of manage wellbeing through the life of the project rather than just retrofitting it and trying to find the money to deliver wellbeing. And that's a big shift for, for, for an organisation to take because it allows us to be a lot, a lot more proactive and, and manage the risks that have been identified on that project, whether there's you know psychological risks, psychosocial risks, or whether they're um, you know uh, physical risks. They're all encapsulated in this well-being uh, plan. So we've codified our approach so we get consistency. The other thing that we did in terms of um, well-being is that we recognize that um, that sometimes people need just some time to, some downtime, some time out, so we took the step of um, of bringing of, of of providing two days a year for each employee to take off to do something that's enjoyable for them. And it could be, and we call those the John John Holland days. So people can take two days off a year, and they can, and we're encouraging them. Uh, and this is being led by our leadership team, in particular Joe Barr, who's a CEO, who uses his wellbeing days to do something physical and active because that's what uh, kind of brings him joy. Um, so we're encouraging people to publicise what they do with their well-being days. So it shouldn't, it should be about what people want to use those days for, not what's uh, kind of expected of them. Um, so that was that was something that we saw as really important and that, and our people really value those two days off a year to do whatever it is they want to do with them. Um, so, um, so we've kind of approached this from each direction that we think is going to be the most in, impactful. The other for the individual, the other thing that we have done is that we make it a standard requirement that any person that joins our organisation that has people responsibility, that they do our mental health for leaders training, which we collaborate with the Black Dog Institute to do that training on our behalf. And we've been running that training now since 2018, um, and uh, we've got around 95% of our leaders trained at any given time in in how to recognise mental health in the workplace and how to support uh, their people through through those times they might be uh, might those difficult times they might be having while they're at John Holland. So uh, we 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 address mental we address well-being and mental health at every level uh, in the business. Um, and i'd have to say it's probably one of the most important um one of the most important issues that we deal with within the business and it's one of the most important programs that we um that we have
0: in the business thank you so much for supporting move your mind we're expanding the offerings of the organization and we're tailoring everything we do to suit you guys and to try and answer to all of your needs and the questions that you send in the book is available globally. You can find all of the links at nickbrax.com slash book. And we've just released the Move Your Mind community. We've currently got a men's community group, a women's community group, a general group. We're going to be lo- loading up other groups. And you can find all of the links at moveyourmind.me. This group's been created based on the needs of what we've heard and learnt throughout running Move Your Mind. And we have live events. We've got courses. We've got huge amounts of value, the ability to share information, share ideas, work in groups together to, to grow and share your learnings, to learn about different topics. You get email reminders. There's a whole lot of features in there. We're constantly updating it and we're so excited to share it with you. You can find all of the information about it at moveyourmind.me. Well, th- yeah, thank you for, for sharing all of that. And I think it is such a good example. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where, it's not an easy thing to tackle if you want to do it properly, you know, you've got to, oh. you know, as you're saying there, you guys are going above and beyond, but to really get it right and to create something sustainable, you sort of do need to go and, you know, take those measures rather than just oh. sort of putting a bandaid on things and maintaining, you know, yes. it, it really is setting that example. And that's how you make oh. these long-term changes. And um, it goes for every industry and, and, and for society in general, really that approach, oh. that sort of, Preventative approach, you know, going back to ground zero. How do we get things right? How do we find the right way to, to you know, build build our culture and run these systems? And you know, it it, it sort of puts you in good stead for for the long term.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's right. And I and, and the other thing, um, Nick, that's really important in this discussion is that that this topic is very important to people uh, who join organisations. They actually want to know what is it that John Holland is going to do for me and my health and well-being that is going to be different yep. from any other company that I might consider joining. So it is becoming a, a point of difference, if you like, in attracting and retaining people. Um, so it's becoming a strategic people issue now, and and it's uh, and it's becoming part of people's decision making. And then when you think about you know the the amount of work that is going on in australia at the moment particularly on the eastern side of the country in infrastructure and building um, and there's a shortage of people to deliver that work so people will be looking at companies like john holland and others and and saying well what what it what is what can you offer me that others won't so it's um it has become a very very important issue for companies on a whole range of measures
0: yeah, no, absolutely, and you know, and it's a it's a great industry, like you're saying. It's something yeah. that I think it's really good to see this happening because it is going to become, I think, an industry that people are going to be more and more attracted, you know, to work in as time goes on, yeah. and especially yeah. with these changes happening. So, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, we
1: we have to make it more attractive, um, you know, because of the things that we've discussed um, today, um, and 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 ultimately, it you know, it will make the industry um a more pleasant one to to join and it is a great industry and and i would encourage people to come and join the construction and engineering industry Um, but we've still got a little way to go Um, it's probably an understatement we've still got a a fair way to go um, to get the outcomes that we're all looking for and that is better mental health outcomes and 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 much much lower um suicide rates and until yeah. we can get to that point, then I think, you know, we there's no way that we can actually declare victory. We can say that we're on the pathway to that, but we've just got such a long way to go. The I think the the other thing worth mentioning, Nick, is the mobilisation of the industry, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. The mobilisation of the industry has been, um, you know, necessary and um, and and quite impressive. Um, there's a, um, there is a, uh, an industry association um, that's mobilised since, uh, since that um, research report that I mentioned earlier from Luke Downey uh, was published, um, and it's a group of individuals that have come together from the main players, uh, mostly out of um, that are based in Victoria, but most of the you know the, the tier one contractors have come together. To, uh, to try and give this whole issue, um, build some more momentum, if you like. And it's called the Wellness and Infrastructure. And it's a group of people that are representative from each of the companies uh, that, um, that operate in Australia. And some, and, and some of those are multinationals. Um, and they've created this Wellness and Infrastructure Initiative looking at how they, can, how they can take those research findings from Luke Downey's research and put them into practice. Uh, and i'm I'm a member of that steering committee. and uh, and I'm very enthusiastic about the difference that, that the work that that group is making. And, and they're running a um, a mentoring program where they're seeking nominations from people who are, have been in the industry a little bit longer than most. Um, but are recognised as leader in the industry and also mentees that are people that are up and coming in the industry and putting those two together to try and um, to try and solve some of the challenges, if you like, that uh, that the industry has in front of them. And, you know, looking at those structural factors that I just mentioned around, you know, those cultural Mm. issues that we're trying to tackle. That group of individuals um, are trying through that association that's been created is trying to, to to tackle those issues in a more meaning in a meaningful way that's going to um, that aligns with what the broader industry is trying to do anyway. But it's a very practical yeah. example about how you get how you do get the change at the grassroots level. Um, so um, you know I'm very I'm very enthusiastic about what this group can actually do for the industry.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, it's a a sign that things are, as you're saying, moving in in the right direction. So I really, really appreciate, you know, everything that you're doing and you're making the time to to come on here. Um, We finish every episode with five closing questions. So I'm going to try and not throw you too far under the bus with these. Nothing too crazy. But um, the first one, yeah, we'll see how we go. But, yeah, the first (laughs) one is um, what's your best childhood memory that comes to mind?
1: Oh wow! Um, well, I, I've, I I'm fortunate enough to have had a quite an ideal, or a very ideal, um, childhood. Um, so I have lots of really good memories. Um, but one that uh, w- one that sticks out for me is where, when when I, I grew up in the UK. I grew up in in uh, London, and uh, have some very fond memories. Have some very fond memories. Um, of, of spending time in the uh, in the forest that was at the back of our house, a, um, quite a large forest of just um, exploring in those forests, and there was often um, there was often remnants of World War Two uh, in those forests, bunkers that you could actually that were they had tra- trap trapdoors at ground level that you would often sometimes find, and you go down into them and um, you know create a whole lot of um, you know, play down there and just, just messing about as young young fellas and creating camps and those kind of things. So I've got lots of really good memories of of uh, of growing up in that environment, Nick.
0: That's a great a great story. And it reminds me a lot of my, you know, childhood of running around and, you know, exploring and different things. And I think it's, you know, it's oh. it's sad as well that now we're living in a world where, you know, less kids are growing up doing that kind of stuff. You know, they're sort yeah. of growing yeah, up so with true. screens and yeah, all yeah. that kind of thing.
1: Yes, and and you know, and, and I guess the concerns from parents these days of where where their children are and what they're doing, and um, and not wanting to uh, have them too far away from them, because yeah. of the, you know the concerns that come with that. But uh, you know, growing up, as I did in the sixties, um, and we used to roam, roam the roam the woods quite regularly as as, as young people. So it's very different, very different era.
0: Very different. Uh, what do you think is one of the biggest burdens on mental health in society at the moment. The
1: biggest burden. Um, I, I, think, um, I think it's a combination of factors. And, and I think we're seeing some of this play out in real time with cost of living rises, uh, interest rate rises, slow wage growth. I think there's there's a lot of pressure uh, in society at the moment um, in terms of just day-to-day living um i think i think the global events the geopolitical events that are occurring um, around the world are are concerning for some people i think a lot of people are concerned you know with what's going on in america at the moment what's happening in the ukraine um and certainly what's happening domestically here with cost of living um and and uh, and wage growth etc so i think those external factors I think those external factors are concerning for a lot of people. Yeah. Um and depending upon you know how that actually impacts you, um uh, uh you know whether those things directly impact you can play out in in a person's mental health. Um so I think I think that would be my yeah. answer to that Nick. Um I think life's a bit life's complex um it is demanding um you, you know, most households um, that have got young children both part both people are working and so you've got the additional pressure of of how you make all that work uh, for 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 the family etc so i think there's you know there's there's the social pressures um, domestic pressures that come to play, to come to bear as well
0: absolutely So, yeah it is it is complicated it seems like it's getting more and more complicated yeah. but yeah, yeah no i it, <laughs> agree with your answer there um what what's your personal definition of happiness? My
1: personal definition of happiness. Um, uh, yeah, that's a really good that's a really good question. I don't know how I'd um, I don't know how I'd summarize that in a def- in a definition. But um, t- to me, um, you know, be- being happy is is. Uh, reflected in, in, in my relationships. Um, if my relationships with people are, are positive and, and rewarding, then to me that makes the biggest difference to my happiness. So a lot of stuff for me that happens around me impacts me, but it doesn't necessarily cut through to the point where it affects, uh, affects my mood significantly or my sense of happiness and well-being. But if but if my the people that I that I love around me are not happy um, or not thriving, then that affects that affects my my degree of happiness. I love my, that answer, my, particularly my, my you know my my kids and my my partner.
0: Yeah, absolutely, oh. absolutely. But I think it's a you know it's a great a great way to put it as well because we can get so caught up in worrying about. You know, so many other things, things we can't control, putting mm. pressure on unnecessary things, and if you can boil it back to, you know, the simple things and the important things, you know, how how are these actual direct relationships? You know, how oh. uh, uh, am I servicing them properly? Uh, is there more I could do? You know, if you just focus on that, it sort of it simplifies life a lot. Of the time, and mm. makes us realize what's important. So yeah, I really like yeah. that answer.
1: And sometimes you just gotta, you've just gotta stop just take a break and, and reflect on that because, you know, most problems aren't in, are not insurmountable and you need to get perspective from time to time and talk to the people around you that know you and love you that will give you that perspective as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important, you know, and that oh. that gives us, we can lose perspective when we get too caught up in our own head, but the people yeah. around us who know us and know the situation can often very quickly, you know, cut to the point and sort of help yeah. us see things in a more clear way. So, yeah, yeah, that's right for I'm sure. Curious. So, I've got two more here. Um, mm-hmm. What are you most afraid of? Um,
1: I think that um, what what really scares me um, is being incapacitated. I think if I was to be um, physically incapacitated in some way then that would that that the thought of that terrifies me if i was to yeah. um lose functionality physical functionality or capacity in some way and i and i ride a motorbike um not very often but i'm uh i'm often reminded by my wife mostly that how dangerous that is Um, But being a good health and safety professional, I I take a risk-based approach um, and I make sure I'm riding safely and wearing all the right gear and and going out when the weather is uh, safe to do so. So I'm not an all-weather rider. Um, But but it's always on my mind that um, if I ever had had an accident, I haven't had one on a motorbike, um, but if I was, what would the physical impact of that be? Um, and when I think about that, I'm almost tempted to put the bike up for sale the next day, but, but I haven't. <laughs> I've resisted. <laughs> I've resisted that temptation <laughs> to now. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm probably. Since you asked the question, that's probably the thing that terrifies me: is is uh, is is losing bodily function.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, being, it's a ter- being paralyzed, terrifying, film. Being paralysed
1: would, yeah. um, would terrify me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But it is, you know, I, I actually used to ride one myself for a number of years, and it, it is sort of a provided, obviously, like you're saying, that you know you're, you're safe and careful on it. It's a very freeing feeling, you know, being oh, out yeah, on a bike. It, and that's it really the, is.
1: you know, you'd probably say, well, if you're terrified by this by the potential outcome of riding a bike, why do you bother? And unless you've ridden a bike, you don't know the answer to that. It is a, exactly a liberate, liberating experience, um, and uh, and a very enjoyable uh, experience. So, but I guess there becomes a, a time where you've got to work at work and see if that trade off continues to work for you. For me and as what,
0: yeah, exactly weighing it up. But it is, yeah. and it's. I think it forces you. I mean, you are safe in in one way because. It forces you to be present. If you're driving a car, you might be taking a phone call, you might be daydreaming a little yeah. bit, but on a on a bike, you're fully present. You don't have a choice, and you know, so oh. it's this very immersive experience, which makes yeah. it so, you know, engaging and such a sort of, you know, rewarding thing to do. Um, which at least there's that part as well. So yeah, maybe 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 we can tell that to your wife that um, <laughs> yeah, it's safe because you're so present. <laughs> yeah, well, I
1: think it's it's the people on the mobile phones that are in cars that we have to worry about.
0: Exactly, um, exactly. So,
1: yeah, it's but you know, there's there's roads around where I live that are that are quite remote. So, um, so again, it's uh, it's a, a mani- managing the risk as best we can. But uh, yeah, it I is. love it. I like riding a bike. So,
0: yeah. Um, so, final one. What are you most mm. proud of?
1: Um, I'm proud of a lot of things actually um, I guess when you get to my stage of life there's a lot to look back on and reflect um, but I don't want to without being too too glib or cliche Nick I think um, I'm most proud of of my kids um, yeah. and who they are uh, who they are as people not necessarily what they've achieved because they've you know They've, they've achieved a reasonable amount um, in, their, in, their, in their lives. They've, what, the eldest is 30 and the youngest is 26. But it's who they are as individuals and who they are as people, who they are as humans and those kind of personal attributes that we all hope as parents that your kids grow up to be good human beings uh, with great interpersonal skills. And uh, and, are, um, uh, and are loved and, um, and love other people. So it's. I think that's probably the thing that's um, that I'm most proud of. There's lots of other things that I've done uh, along the way in my life that uh, that I reflect on every now and then that uh, that keep me motivated, um, uh, keep me motivated moving forward. But uh, reflect on reflect you know, on reflection, you know, it's the the voice that I'm most proud of.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible thing, and and you know, like you said, from hearing your story, there's plenty of other things to be, to be proud of. And, you know, I think it's, um, you know, a good thing to to reflect on and a a great way to, to sort of end this interview and, you know, really enjoyed it. And I, you know, loved every, everything you talked about and appreciate you coming on here and making the time and, you know, sharing all of that. And, um, yeah, it's been great. Oh, final thing as well for anyone listening, if they want to learn more about John Holland, we'll put this in the show notes. Um, is it best for them to just go to the website? Would that be? Yeah, I would think so, Nick. Yes, we've got a yep. um
1: a, a great web a great um, website that's full of information, tells you more about the company and uh, and who the people are in the company from a leadership perspective, what our values are, and the key things that we're doing in areas yep. like well-being and sustainability, health and safety.
0: Yeah, great. Well, we'll have them um, I'll have the links to the the link to the uh website in the show notes of this episode so so yeah martin thank you so much mate for for making the time
1: my pleasure nick and and thank you for the work that you're doing to advance the um the situation around mental health uh, across multiple industries i think i think it's uh, it's making a difference
0: i appreciate it
1: good idea thanks nick
0: thanks to martin smith for joining me today for move your mind if you'd like to join the Move Your Mind community, you can go to moveyourmind.me. And if you'd like to purchase a Move Your Mind book, you can find that at nickbrax.com book.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig.